Assalamu alaikum and welcome to the Progeny Podcast. Today, my guest is one half of the Tijani brothers, brother Shabir Tijani. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum salam. Thank you very much for having me. Khan, servant of Imam Al Hussein, alayhi afdal salati wa salam. And I think uh, that word, servant of Imam Al Hussein, is enough uh, to introduce someone uh, who served his community. Uh, serve different communities around the world um, with your voice. What does, and I, I want to start with this, what does it mean to be or be called the servant of Imam al-Hussein alayhi salam? There's actually no no title that's more honorable than being called the servant of Imam al-Hussein alayhi salam. That is the dream and wish of anyone who is in this field to be given that honor. But even then, I feel like it's an honor, it's a, it's a title which is which is more than what I am. I, I said one half of the uh, Tijani brothers because uh, usually people see you together, you um, and uh, respected Dr. Abbas. Yes. Um, of course, you're a doctor as well. And I know Hakan, which is which is quite amazing uh, um, because usually uh, someone who goes into this field, especially someone that maybe a lot of his life is with reciting because you know i know you take time out in muharram maybe safar shahar ramadan the big occasions you've got a majlis but at the same time have a professional uh, career is very rare maybe i know in the in the, in the iraqi culture it is because of someone like the mullah basims the mullah qahtans the, the big uh, arab reciters if he's doing recitation latmiya then he won't have uh, another job maybe yeah, I mean, the thing is, there's two things here. Number one is that when you are in a certain field, um, the amount of time that you have to commit to it um, means that you don't have time for other things. So, for example, you know, for our recordings, we we are preparing all year round for, for a single release in Muharram, sometimes 18 months before the release. Wow. Um, but also with our work, you know, you do five years of medical school, five years of training, nights, weekends, you know, 13 to 18 hour shifts at a time. Um, it does take a lot out of you. But I've always said this from the start. At every step, whenever we've faced a hurdle, something has happened that has allowed us to overcome this hurdle. And we think, and, and in fact, not even think, I know that this is because of the service that we give to Imam al-Hussein alayhi salam. There is, there is nothing that we've come across that has been too much for us to overcome. Who was instrumental in your career with recitation? Because you recite, you started reciting really young. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is there anyone that you know continued to? Because a lot of young, I I remember even in my center and other centers that I grew up in, you'll get a lot of maybe kids, uh, aged five, six, seven, eight, nine, doing the odd nasheed, the salam, amartiya. Yeah. Uh, but then it will sort of phase out by the time they they go to college or they start school and university, mm. and then. You won't see them but during their childhood, you know, something that their parents... Who was instrumental in you actually continuing to reach this far where, alhamdulillah, you're getting invited now, Muharram, to places even outside the country? Yeah, so that's a really good question. Um, so our respected mother is a, is a reciter. MashaAllah. Um, I didn't know and, that uh, Yeah, so what happened is around the age of two, she used to take me to obviously all the programs on the ladies' side. Mm. And then I, I started reciting at the age of two. So she used to pick me up on the mic and I used to recite 
um, you know, whatever I recite, you know, a few lines of of a Because you're older than Shabir, right? I'm older than Abbas. Yes, you're older I'm than two Abbas. Years, two years older two than years Abbas. Two years older than yeah. Abbas. Okay. So sh- I used to recite, and then at the age of four, that's when we started to recite independently, um, with you know our own recitations and in in the gent side, in the men's side. Mashallah. Um, and we used to just this is just a a passion. It's always been a passion. Um, and our love just grew and grew and grew and, and we had good people around us and I think that's really important if you have good people around you to guide you because sometimes you know there's two things one is that you get distractions and people kind of taking you down the wrong road and the other thing is you want to try and stay grounded and it's really difficult when you're a kid or when you're a teenager um, and you're getting you know a lot of people coming to you asking you to do these recordings um it's quite easy to kind of let yourself get carried away so you need good people around you to keep you grounded and to keep you focused on on your mission um i'm going to ask a question i hope you're comfortable enough to answer which is <laughs> in the urdu world and also now in the in the arab world so at the same time you've uh, because of maybe social media or because of um, the following that certain reciters know Hakans get, there seems to be, if someone is looking from the outside and doesn't understand what it means to be a khadim, a servant, there seems to be a celebrity um, look to certain reciters where, you know, It's very difficult to get access to them when they're bought to the majlis, they're bought, you know, through a back door and VIP service where, you know, people are just trying to get a selfie with them or a photo or try and speak to them. And you, I'm only asking because you, you mentioned, you know, it's very difficult to keep yourself grounded um, knowing that people want to speak to you or take a photo with you or be associated with you. Mm-hmm. Do you see that or am I just maybe... We, one thing that we try to do is to try and stay away from protocol. Um, by that, what I mean is that a lot of times we are offered these, um, you know, this hype when we come into centers or when we're reciting mm. and we try and steer away from it. So we will try and avoid. So, for example, I'll give you an example. Sometimes you are told that you know when you come to the center there's a there's a sp- separate room for you when it's your turn to recite you come out you recite you finish and go back in but what we try and do is we try and get there right at the beginning of the program when you know the first few people are getting into the program and we leave right at the end um and that just allows us to do two things number one it just makes you feel like an ordinary person who's attending the majalis um and the second thing is that it enables you to meet people meet people that ordinarily you wouldn't meet. So I think that we've always tried to avoid that protocol, avoid that kind of um, hype if we can avoid it. Do you feel that, again, uh, we're not mentioning names or, or saying, you know, because we, at the end of the day, we I highly respect all reciters that serve Imam Hussein alayhi salam. But do you feel social media has maybe got people maybe th- thinking that oh this person's now a celebrity or because obviously uh, it's, it's, it's a trend now which is a good thing by the way uh, the video clips you you obviously record you record them for Muharram or for Shahar Ramadan Shahadat Imam Ali alayhi salam and I think they're, they're quite popular I always say you know a lot of people that you know God forbid were listening to music 
because of the video because now are away from that alhamdulillah they can listen to something that's they what they won't get you know they'll get thawab actually for not just since they they'll actually get good deeds for but can some can maybe being a trap that we should try and avoid with with the rise of social media and reels and where people think that this person is very un- you can't, you can't access him or I think I think one thing we can't do um looking from the outside in is judge anyone's intention Accent. so uh, you know people looking from the outside in may have a perception that okay this guy or this person is getting so many hundreds of thousands millions of views on their youtube channel for example or they're getting so many followers on on a certain social media platform but what you don't know is the person behind all of it you don't know what the intention is mm. you don't know and and don't forget a lot of these people do have other people around them that control their social media so they don't have any idea of what's going on there all they all they know is okay i have a deadline of this date to produce this noha and that's all they know the beginning and the end is that noha that's what they focused on and everything else that's going on around them is controlled by other people so that's one thing i don't do is con- is is sort of have a perception or second guess anyone's intention when when you've um, started to recite you've um, caused a revolution with nohas because you've now also recite in english which is you know up until maybe 15 20 years ago i don't know when you released your first english one but maybe up to 15 from what i remember it was very you know you wouldn't hear an english uh no it was always either urdu or arabic or or, or another language associated with 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 muslims from that country but you are one of the pioneers you and my other guests that i've had as well uh in introducing english no has Uh, what was your first uh, English noha do you think uh, do you remember um so there is one noha called i will come calling to you hussein is that what is what one of the first ones that's one of our first ones okay, and there's one on imam sajad alayhi salam that we released as well so those are our first english nohas that we released how did the you know your community first take to to, to english recitation to how how about how, you know are, are you do you are, were you encouraged to continue english or did you think that so at every stage there's always been people that have created barriers mm. okay um so if we go right back to the beginning when we first did our, our noha album it was 2005 and we were 16 i was 16 at the time abbas i think was 15 or 14 at that time no one in the uk from the indo pak community maybe a, a couple of people were releasing nohas but not from the khoja community khojas are not supposed to know urdu they're not supposed to recite so when we said we want to go and record we had a lot of opposition to it because people thought that this was a barrier that was too difficult to overcome uh, but we still went we still did our recording we learned a lot through the process and then 2 3 years later we decided to bring everything in house and do all of our recordings in the uk at that point we faced barriers as well and and people having issues with that so mm. there's always been people who've had issues that should never stop you as long as your intention is correct as long as you have foresight and an understanding of what your aim is at the end so when we started doing english nohas we did face a lot of op- opposition from people within and outside the community as well because culturally english is not a language for recitation but one thing we know is that the youth today a lot of them don't understand don't relate to their mother tongue they relate mm. to the language they speak in school they relate to the language they speak with their friends so 
that's why we thought, okay, let's give this a go and see what the response is. We had complete polarizing opinions from the youngsters, from the younger people. They said, you know, we never had anything that we could relate to um, in a language we understand. And on the opposite side, we had the elders saying, you know, this is not a language for Noha. So we decided to sit down, have a chat and decide to run with it because we thought we were doing serving our community in the best way we possibly could. Have you got any upcoming Muharram um, trucks coming up? Inshallah, we released one um, Muslim in Aqil one. Amazing. Yeah. And uh, English as well? or So this year we don't have an English one purely because um, we have one that, we've, that we had planned to release this Muharram, but for, for unfortunately, because of issues with the recording process, it was never sort of recorded and, and mixed. So inshallah, we're planning to release it maybe next Muharram or in between this and next Muharram. I want to pick up on something you, you mentioned, which is, you know, Khoja's reciting Urdu, which I, subhanAllah, I heard also from someone else uh, who said that, um, uh, he said, I'll, I'll never, he, he, he lives in a community where the, the local mosque is a Pakistani community. Uh, without going into too much details, but he's from a Khoja background way, and he's got quite a nice voice, but he said, he said, when I read, um, even though he, he said my Urdu is, is good, he said, I'll never get the big nights. Well, because they'll say, you know, your Urdu isn't, you know, you're not, it's not supposed to, Khojas are not supposed to maybe recite. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm trying to be as respectful as yeah, possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Don't I mean, give anything away. But he said, you know, that it, it, it's not supposed to be this way, the, the yeah. way he was told. Yeah, I mean, you, you look you look throughout history, for example, that there have been certain people that have been put into a certain category. Um, and even, you know, as Khojas, we're not an Urdu-speaking community. We are a community that's from Gujarat and India, and we speak, you know, maybe Swahili because we, we're from Africa. But Urdu is not a language that is common to us. Uh, but, you know, there's nothing stopping anybody from learning a language and learning it properly because now when I recite Urdu, well, I've been told this. I don't know if it's necessarily true or not. But now when I recite Urdu, you know, I've been told it sounds as good as an Urdu-speaking reciter. So um, it's something that obviously we have had to work on. We've had to learn Urdu. Alhamdulillah, we write our own poetry in Urdu as well. So um, it's something we've learned. But if someone says you shouldn't do something, it doesn't mean you shouldn't. It means you work hard in order to change their minds. Talking of uh, writing your own uh, now Nohas. Uh, this is a question I asked uh, in, in a previous episode, which is, does the tune come first or do the words come first? Always the tune. Always the tune. Always the tune. Okay. Why? Um, Shouldn't the words be more important, though? Um, because if, you, if you're putting, I'm, again, I'm, I'm just asking to yeah. try and get an understanding. Because if you, you're, you're, you're putting a constraint on, on, on the actual words, yeah. if you're picking the tune first. Yeah. So essentially what, what we do, or what I do anyway, um, out of the two of us, I'm mainly the composer, and uh, and I write. Abbas writes. We write in equal share, but I'm mainly the composer. Um, it's just a moment of inspiration. That mm. it's a bit like you know. I've always I've always put it this way that um, it's a bit like an artist painting a. a can they could have an empty canvas for months. Mm -hmm. They just don't don't have inspiration. You could be driving to work. You could be in the shower. You could be anywhere, and suddenly something pops into your head. And that's your moment of inspiration. And it's usually a, a melody that comes into your head or an idea that comes into your head for which you're making a melody. And then you run with that. And the tune will change along the way, but you write on that structure. 
and with 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 with, with Arabic melodies, uh, which obviously I'm familiar with. Uh, generally, uh, the, the, if, it's, if a mel- melody catches on, then you'll have the the reciter maybe recite the same melody f- in different occasions with different words. Obviously, is it the same? Or if you've picked a melody, then you'll say, "That's it. I've done this melody. I'll move on to a next one. I'll never pick. I'll never read something with that melody." Yeah, I've I personally have never reread anything okay. in the same melody. So obviously I recite the same one in different occasions if needed. Yeah. But I don't recite a new poem on that melody. That means it must be really difficult coming up with new melodies. It, I mean, it's because we've done tw- over 20 albums now. So, so that's 20 albums with about 10 tracks per album. So that's 200 tracks. Wow. So after a while, <laughs> you, do, you do have to start, you know, you do start coming up against mental blocks because you have to try and do something new every time. And it's not easy because new concepts and ideas, new melodies, new style of poetry, because you can't, even with poetry, you know, people have a specific way of writing and you have to change that with every time you write something new. It's not easy. There's a theory that we have, which is poetic license Hmm. that a poet gets when writing um, about, let's talk about, you know, the Musibah of Karbala, which is obviously... Uh, one where we were reciting for for close to two months. When you're writing this poetry, uh, are you getting inspired through stories maybe you've heard, through narrations you've read, through poetry that you've read? Because, I mean, it's difficult enough that we were talking about you coming up with the melodies, but I'm guessing the words now in... is yeah. even more difficult. So how, 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 and how, how much license do you give yourself to go into that world of what we call in Arabic khayal, what we call in English imagination. Yes, yeah. So essentially what we've done, what we do is we read the actual maqtal from the original narrations. That's one thing we do. Okay. Uh, but also we hear stories from the mimbar, uh, from reciters. We um, also sort of, when we are watching things online, for example, we pick things up and then we, we sometimes write those. And also you have to use the imagination for certain things because there's certain things that aren't in narrations, you know, the way that someone might be feeling or someone might be thinking. You can't mm. get that from a narration. So you have to use your own, like you mentioned the word khayal. It's also the same word in Urdu, actually, okay. which means sort of like a, a, a imagination, a vision, um, a vision yeah. which is not something that you you will find in narrations you know you find factual things in narrations but you don't find things that are n- you know that are non-physical things like emotion thoughts you don't you don't find them in, in narrations so you have to think outside the realm of just facts but at the same time you have to be controlled as well so every time we write anything we send it to a scholar okay um, and we get it checked to make sure we're not crossing any boundaries because sometimes some of the things we we can write can be too graphic as well so it's not just the fact that um it's the poetic license it's also writing things that are appropriate for the crowd as well because there'll be kids listening to this there will be you know people that may not have heard certain narrations if you if you for example read Nahia, there's certain things in there which are very graphically written and people who haven't read Ziyaratunahi, if they read it for the first time, they will be shocked as to how graphic certain parts are. Uh, obviously, I'm guessing you and Abbas do the, the writing. But can you be both writing and then it will be used in one know-how? Yeah. Or yeah. 
Yeah. Ah. So it's yeah. not like you take one nauha, you say, I'm going to write the full nauha, and then he does yeah. another nauha. So there was a, I'll tell you a story. So we were in, we went to Madrid for our summer holidays. Uh, this was 2009, I believe. So we were, there's a lot, many, many moons ago when we were still <laughs> at uni. Um, and we had a flight at 4 a.m. And we were, you know, we had to kill five, six hours. So we wrote a whole nauha in those six hours. So we're like, okay, we've got, what, we have to kill time. So what we're we going to do? So I was like, fine, let me think of, made up a melody, let's write on it. And then we released that in Muharram. So it, it sort of, inspiration can strike at any point. You could be anywhere, you could be in an airport, you could be anywhere, and you will write something, you will create something. So you won't say, you call Abbas, say, Abbas, come around my house, we're going to sit down and write a, <laughs> a no, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't always work well, like you that. Know, let's sit down three weeks to go or yeah. three months to go to Muharram. Let's yeah. write about Ali Asghar, for example. Yeah. It's not that, that It's all. not that way. So I'll come up with something. I may write one or two verses. I might WhatsApp it to him and then he will think of concepts. He'll write some verses as well. It creates a bit of a, a different feel because you have two different writers writing in their own individual styles and then putting it together in one one track. So it's it's got a it's got its own charm as well. This is this probably won't be a fair question because Abbas isn't here. But who's the better poet? Be honest. Well, Muharram, so you can't. <laughs> Who is the better poet? Be honest. Are you the better poet, or is Abbas be, the better poet? To be honest with you, we I both wish I spoke uh, Urdu so you could show me some lines and I could pick one. We 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 both have our strengths. Um, so, for example, if we're talking about English poetry. Um, the there's some tracks he's written all by himself. There's certain tracks I've written all by myself. Um, so I think it depends on who the listener is. That's the diplomatic answer. I love how you <laughs> answered that question. Where you could have said Abbas and he, he made him happy. But so it's Muharram. I can't lie. Yeah, yeah. Alhamdulillah, I'm taking it that you you feel you're better. <laughs> with with uh, writing. Yeah. I'm guessing this is like. You mentioned you started writing in 2000, the story from 2009. But when did you actually decide that you're going to write your own poetry rather than get a poet? Which is very rare, by the way, in the Arabic world. Uh, in the Arabic world, you will, the top, in my head, the top five or even, I would say, even ten reciters in the Iraqi world will not write their own poetry. It's very, you'll, you'll only recently, uh, there has been uh, some new reciter by the name of Murtada Harb, uh, who's come out and said he's writing his own stuff. Otherwise, you know, as I mentioned, other, uh, like uh, people like Mullah Basim will never write his own poetry. Yeah. He'll go to a poet. My first question in the Urdu world, is it normal to write your own poetry? No. Uh, no, it's not. It's not. It's not. But having said that, we in the last so your Mirs and your Farhans and they, your they they, they 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 use a poet. They use a poet. Ah. Um, but in the last five or six years, we've started using other poets as well. Okay. Okay. The reason being is that I think from our perspective, from our point of view, we have a style of writing which is unique to us. Mm. Um, now, majority of the reciters will use one poet for the full album. What we do is we have six poets maybe poets, for an yeah. album, including us. So we write our own as well. But what we've started to do now is to say, look, we need to have a different style of poetry as well. Because different styles of poetry appeal to a different uh, audience. Um, and that's something that we've... W I mean, it's difficult to try and break out of that for ourselves because it's something that we really love doing, is writing. But then there comes a point where you put the work that you're creating above your own wishes and your own desires 
What do you mean? So I'll give you an example. So we know that, for example, um, if we were to write something and we were to have person X, Y or Z writing the same thing, we would have a completely different style of writing. Mm -hmm. But then if you write, say, nine Nohas yourself, you have that one style of writing for all nine. Mm. And you know the end goal of your th of you producing the noha is to number one make people listen, number two make people cry, and number three make other people recite the same thing. That's the that's the aim. And now you know that actually, if I get someone else to write this noha, they'll have a different way of writing it. They'll appeal to someone who is outside our usual audience. Circle, so yeah. you put the work above your your own wants. And mm -hmm. my, my, my wish has always been to write my own stuff because that connection you get with the poetry is like nothing else. You know, I read other people's stuff as well. And obviously you connect to it. But when you've written something else, you know the whole backstory, you know, you know the poem, you know, the, the melody you made, how you wrote it, where you wrote it, the connections you had to the words. I remember I'll come crawling to Hussein, for example, um, it's in English, but I'll come crying to saying what happened was everyone I knew one year went for Arbaeen. Literally, I, I think everyone I knew went for Arbaeen. My friends, my family, everyone. And I was so upset. And I literally sat down that night. I created the melody and I wrote, I think, 90% of the, the noha in one night because I was so annoyed and, and wow. upset because I wasn't going. And, um, and that was my way of like the, putting my emotions onto paper was that noha. So I know the backstory. I know when I wrote it, how I wrote it, what I was feeling at the time when I wrote it. And it's something that you don't feel when you're re reciting other people's poetry, even, even though the words may be really sad and you're mm. feeling, you know, you, you feel sad when you're reciting it, but you don't have the full depth of it. Mm, you don't have that connection maybe that with each yeah. word, you know, you pick yeah. this word because of this reason. Exactly, exactly. Each, because obviously a poet... Um, sometimes can be st stuck on one line for hours, if not days, if not weeks, yeah. Yeah. just yeah. on the on one line, and then he, he because you know he's got he's got the, a vision, but it's just putting that vision onto onto the paper with, and, with the right word. Yeah, and, and Urdu is a rich language. That's the art. That's the art is putting your thoughts into poetical form. That's that's the art. And that's the hardest part, is is putting all of that into a poetical form. And not only poetical form, so you have different types of Urdu as well. You have your colloquial yeah. slang Urdu that you speak on a day-to-day -day basis with people. And then you have poetical Urdu, which is very different. So you have to then word things in such a way where you get that sort of, you give that impression to the, to the listener as well. With yourself, do you tend to also... Um follow other reciters to see their works of course, uh, of course get inspired by them or you know you prefer to um no i try and listen to as much as i can the reason being is that number one um i i i love listening to nohas like that's something i've done since i can remember but also you appreciate other reciters mm. you you know it, it's not Tijani brothers against the world. It's, you know, we're part of a bigger, bigger drive. We are, we're standing side by side with other reciters to You're deliver part of them. this ocean. Yeah, that's yeah. So I think sometimes reciters, um, certain reciters I've met, I'm not, not going to mention names, they forget that, that actually we're part of a, a bigger team. And our mission is one, to drive the message of Imam Hussein forward by any means that we can. Um, and using this... Uh, you know, alhamdulillah, this gift that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us, 
to spread the message. And that's really important that, you know, you support your fellow reciters in any way you can. How much, if, you know, I'm sure there's some youth out there that might have um, participated in the Shia voice or practice at home or recite in their center and may not get an opportunity at the center because they're told that maybe their voice isn't good enough maybe or they tried maybe entering into something like the Shia voice and they felt that they were told that you know you're not good enough from what you've seen and through your journey do you feel they they should give up and maybe try something else or can someone practice their voice to reach a level uh, where they can recite uh, in their community center and public places so the first thing i would say is that when you're serving the ahlul bayt no one knows your intention right so if you're doing something out of the purity of your heart with the sincerest of intentions there's nothing more important than that. And the Ahl Bayt, no. Alhamdulillah. Okay, that's the first thing. The second thing is that any art, any form of expression, if, for example, public speaking, recitation, anything can be practiced and perfected. And if someone discourages you, that should drive you to push forward and try harder and to, and to perfect your art. Um, so any listener out there who's watching this, for example, who's unsure whether or not to continue, continue, continue with the purest of intentions and the help will come from above. It's, uh, intention is important, the most important thing, you know, and uh, reciting for Imam Al-Hussein is something that no one can take away from anyone. You know, you, you, you know no one can say you can't recite because you're... Bo- but if you're a person whose job is to make people cry, and make people connect with Imam Al-Hussein, but your voice, again, I'm going to ask something <laughs> that you may not like to answer, but your voice is not helping. Hmm. Yeah, and you're not, you're actually, people are, are worried about your pronunciation more than, wor- you know, them connecting to Imam Al-Hussein. Or th- it's out of tune. Hmm. Perfect it. Perfect it. And Work if, on it. And if you can't. What, so you find someone who can help you, you know, Alhamdulillah, okay. we're, we're in centers and we're in communities where we are, you know, the one good thing about our communities as, as Shia Ethna Asharis is that we have strong bonds within our communities. We have people in our communities that have an array of skill sets and you'll have reciters in your communities. Approach them, ask them for advice. I've not met a single reciter who's turned their face to a, mm. a youngster who's asked them for advice. Don't be shy. Don't be scared. Remember who you're doing it for. That's the main thing. Were you ever discouraged in your early days? Yeah. And how did you, you know, continue even if you're getting discouraged or told, you know, you can't read here? Or yeah, were so you told you can't read here? In any yes. Sense? Yes. Yes. Because yeah. of? Our age. Okay. Yeah, we were deemed to be too young. So don't read her. Literally yeah. in your face, you can't read her. Yeah. Wow. So our father, bless him, he used to take us to travel all over the country. And that's how we gained experience. You know, there is nothing when you, there's nothing that makes you grow stronger than being knocked down. If you don't get knocked down, you're always in your comfort zone. But if you get knocked down, you have to break out of that comfort zone. You have to stand up and get stronger and improve your, you know, you, you, we all have qualities that 
and strengths that we can build on. Build on them. Build on your strengths. You know that you're, you know, inshallah, you're doing it for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You're doing it for the Ahlul Bayt. No one should tell you you can't. Subhanallah, you mentioned your father, bless him, driving you up and down. And uh, someone who came to my mind is the father of Shan and Rizwan. Hmm. Incidentally, live in the same city as me, but yeah. Oh, do they? <laughs> yeah. Subhanallah. Yeah. Um, what did you think of them? Because obviously they were winners of the first season yeah. of, of Shia Voice. Yeah. Uh, I was there at their first ever audition, and I thought, this is not real. And Subhanallah, it's also two brothers. Yes. Uh, yeah. Just like you and Abbas. Yeah. Um, what's your take? On, on, on their voices and, and, and you know the, the way their, their journey has now panned out MashaAllah first and foremost um, they have a gift that from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they're using it in the right way that's the first thing um, but MashaAllah their, vo- their voices their synchronization um, you can tell that it's not just the fact that they have a good at the end of the day if you've, be, if you've got a, a gift from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala where you can do something well it's one thing doing something well. It's another thing working hard at it. Mm. You can Affecting never achieve it. anything in life without working hard, mm. no matter how good you are at it. So you can tell just by listening to them how many hours and hours and hours of practice goes into what they produce at the end. You know, we listen to a, a five minute or a 10 minute recitation, but you don't know the number of hours that go into the preparation for that point. Um, so for them, I just want to say that, mashallah, keep going, keep working hard. Um, I love their recitations. I love them as individuals. You know, the the passion which they, re- they recite with. Having listened to them talk, I know that they're doing it out of the purest of intentions. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, just keep going and keep working hard. You are obviously uh, a guest judge in both seasons, correct? Yeah, that's right. Yes, both seasons you are a guest uh, judge. Uh, you also, I, I think, performed as well uh, yes. on, on both occasions. The show itself, uh, not because you are a guest judge, <laughs> but generally, what's your take on, on on what this show has done to us as a community? Because it's something new. Mm-hmm. Uh, never, There might have been maybe Quran competitions in, in your local center, maybe some no-har recitation classes, lessons. But... With what we saw with the Shia voice, uh, the the scale, uh, the, the the sheer size of this project, it has changed how we see recitation and how we've um, got different reciters from different parts of the country and outside come to yeah. uh, showcase their their talents. Your take on 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 the on the whole concept on the on the Shia voice. First and foremost, I think the platform it creates for reciters who we call unknown, but you know, obviously they're probably known in their communities and their centres. But on the grander scale, they're they're relatively unknown, and yet, and then they go onto this platform which is aired across several countries ac- across the world, seen by God knows how many thousands and thousands of people at home. Um, and this platform is really a springboard for them to take that talent they have and move it forward. And you're right, it's the scale. I mean, the, the time and effort and money that's gone into producing this show is like nothing we've seen before. And they say that there's certain, 
you know, sliding doors, you know, there's, sliding, there's certain moments in the evolution of certain communities that you see. Mm. And we're now in, a, in, a, in an era where we don't watch things on TV anymore. We have catch up TV. We don't watch things on the television. We watch YouTube on our phones. Mm. So this is a sliding doors moment where actually this is a, a step up for our community. Um, and this is kind of the, the catalyst for it all where you've seen the impact it's made across the world and the ripple effect it's had across the world where people have come from, I think the furthest was Canada somewhere. Yeah, I, I don't Canada, know where from, yeah. you know, from, from all over the world, people are coming to participate so that number one, they can get uh, recognition is important. Appreciation is important yeah. for a reciter. You know, you're a reciter yourself. You know that when you recite somewhere and if you get appreciation, you feel good about it. So, you know, get recognition, get appreciation, but also it's a springboard for them to show their, showcase their talents to the world. Um, so, you know, it's something that's never been done before and my prayers are with them and, you know, I've got a lot of time for that show. I think you're definitely right that this is for the progress of the Shia community, uh, the evolution of our community, inshallah, it will be looked at in a positive way. Inshallah, centers will now be encouraged maybe to do local uh, competitions within their own mosques, maybe to encourage people with Quran recitation. I think one thing that I did do, which is, is make us fall in love with the Quran Whereas maybe before we didn't have that connection. Sadly, some centers, some put Quran as a filler for the crowd to come in. Whereas now if you've got someone reciting beautifully, I remember uh, Muhammad Mahdi Al-Mudhaffar, the young Quran yeah. reciter. He had a beautiful voice. And alhamdulillah, a lot of events that I've attended and I, I'm at, he's, he's brought in to recite Quran, not as a filler, but as sort of now... Uh, the, the the main the main sort of act if you want to call it or the main part of the program being the Quran, but I want to ask you what advice you know you've been in this for for thirty plus years now. What advice would you have for some of the recites as well as the winners of of the Shia voice? Yeah, absolutely. So one thing I've always said, um, and I think someone asked me this question before as well, is if you imagine your journey. If you imagine going on a flight, for example, mm. and your journey is reaching the end, you know, get landing on the other side, you can imagine or you can consider winning this competition as just getting your visa. Mm. The reason why I say that is that your journey is to start producing things by yourself, having a way of using those talents to create something which is your own creating your own nohas, your own melodies. It's a bit like a, you know, a painter, for example. If you have a blank canvas in front of you and you're painting something else, someone else's work, you, there's, a, there's only a ceiling to what you can achieve with that. Yeah, You can only replicate what they've got. Well, if you have an empty canvas and you're painting something from yourself, the, there's a limitless level that you can no achieve. Limit. So my advice for, the, for everyone who's participated is use this as your visa to get on that plane and go on that journey and use your talents to create something unique, something that's your own. Um, and inshallah, inshallah, you will see the ascension you get from that. Inshallah, as talking of journeys um, and visas, um, Alhamdulillah, your wife is also a reciter. Yes. Part of her, her and her sisters are well-known reciters uh, of um, Nohaz. Um, 
so now you're it's part of the the, the family where inshallah i'm hoping that your your children will also become reciters inshallah, inshallah. Uh, that kareen of imam al-hussein as i said at the beginning there's no greater honor than being you know in the service of imam al-hussein and the ahlul bayt alayhum salam but you know talking of journeys is the you know have you ever thought that you know my journey as a reciter as the tijani brothers because of you know uh, the how life keeps you busy and you know marriage and children uh, and all the challenges that we face maybe living here in the west but my time my journey is is up i've done my service for imam al-hussein i'm going to continue maybe just serving at the local mosque but where whereas putting in an album every year and meeting up with abbas and writing poetry has that crossed your mind so i'm very fortunate as you said that me my wife is also a reciter and and we have similar fields and we want to create we wanted to when we first started speaking and we met um our aim had always been to be servants of the ahlul bayt alhamdulillah and whatever it took we would try and achieve that as individuals in our own capacities but also as a collective unit and i'll let you into something something in our personal life is that mm. for example you know you you may have a commitment i don't know going to a wedding or i don't know you know we all have commitments right mm. and you have a diary and on this date i'm busy on this day we made a promise to each other that if there's ever a program or if there's anything that's related to doing service of the ahlul bayt whatever is on that diary gets wiped subhanallah and that takes priority subhanallah so that's a promise we made to each other mm. and um and alhamdulillah you know seven seven almost seven years in mm. we've be, we've been able to maintain that and alhamdulillah that same sort of ethos is disseminating to our children as well alhamdulillah where nothing comes above the service of the ahlul bayt um and i'm i'm alhamdulillah i'm really lucky like i said to you at the beginning of the show whatever you know f- finding a spouse is not a small thing it's a big thing mm. and i and you know for a lot of people these are barriers whatever barriers are faced in life i think it's through the help of the ahlul bayt i've been able to find a solution to it and even this i think has been a blessing from they've the ahlul bayt they've got the bayt. keys they've got the keys and even i'll give you something for example me and my wife have a very similar ethos to um I, I, it's a completely different topic is mm. for example charging for a citation okay so that's yeah. yeah so that's something that and your even take on that is um might be a bit controversial but I, I i'm i'm not in a position to judge anyone all right so if someone has a different opinion to me i don't have an issue with of that course. everyone has their own take on it opinion. from a very very young age my thought process has been that in the holy quran allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the prophet has said that in return for what i've given you as an ummah mm. you do muwaddat of mahlul bayt you well, love mahlul bayt more than anything else And so my take on this is is very simple. If I was to do something for my mom and dad for example, if I take them to Tesco for example or or take them to the hospital for an appointment, I would never ask them to pay me anything. Hmm. It would be rude to consi- to even ask them to give me money in return for it. So that's why I would never ask money to recite. So that's my take on it. You'd accept the hadiah but you wouldn't put it as you so, know, yeah, if, whether if, they give or not give you, you don't yeah, absolutely. doesn't stop you from reading that's absolutely. what you're saying absolutely so that's okay. so charging for recitation so you do put a contract in and I'm going to recite only for 25 minutes at yeah. this charge yeah. I only do one majlis a day yeah. N- yeah. none of that so so my take has always been that never ever ask for anything to recite not if they give it. they give 
If they give, um, and you know, for example, sometimes you can make a judgment call as well. Like I go to people's houses and I recite, and I know that they're struggling. Like sometimes you get that feeling, and sometimes I will, I will say to them, "Look, um, I, I don't take well, anything don't for recitation." Um, but I have, a, I have my own views on it. I'm sure everybody else has their mm. own views on it. But this is my personal view, and I'm lucky that I found. A, a spouse who has a similar approach to this because mm, you know we often discuss this at home and we have lots of sort of chats about recitation and 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 you know the, the field and how things are changing but we from the beginning when we met um this was something we discussed right at the start subhanallah um may allah um give you all the tawfiq in your recitation both Shalom. you and your your wife and your family and of course you and your brother uh, may Allah bless your parents, uh, as you mentioned, they are the instrumental in you continuing your recitation. Other than uh, meeting your partner and marrying her, because uh, I'm sure that takes number one. What's your highlight in this journey? Um, what, what would you say your uh, your highlight <laughs> that's is? A, that's such a difficult question. <laughs> in this, this journey, this show, <laughs> <laughs> in, in this journey of service of Imam Al Hussein. Yeah, um, I'll tell you something. So I never got to see the shrine of Imam Al Hussein. I never got to visit Karbala until I was twenty-seven. Subhanallah. So it had always been my wish to go. And that first time when I actually saw the shrine of Imam Al Hussein salam, because at the end of the day, you're doing service for Imam Al Hussein. And all you can do is imagine what mm. it would have been like. But mm. that first glimpse of the shrine of Imam Hussain just broke me down. Just broke me down completely. And this personality, this amazing individual, you may say, who you've dedicated your whole life to, you'd never visited them for 20, almost 30 years of your life. And you get to see their shrine for the first time. That that's, has to be the... The one thing in my life which is embedded right here. Well, I pray that inshallah uh, you you get to visit uh, the holy inshallah. shrines of the Ahl Bayt inshallah all the time. Um, thank you for your time. Uh, I pray that inshallah Allah gives you all the tawfiq uh, to continue uh, in serving Him. I there is no other way. I think for you or for Abbas. Absolutely. I know I asked the question, but I, in my heart, deep down, I knew the answer that there is no other. There's no way you can tell. No, I can't give up. <laughs> that, that, he'll never do that. I, I once um, said this. I said, uh, you know, if you, if you if you give the no Khan or any zakir of Imam Al Hussein, any zakir of Imam Al Hussein, you give them all the money in this world, all the money, and you tell them all I'm going to take from you is the thawab of one accepted noha they wouldn't give it to you absolutely they wouldn't give it to you absolutely not not all their qasaid i'm not saying all their nohas. just yeah. tell them give me one one of your nohas that was accepted by bibi fatima give it to me and in return i'll give you the money of this wealth they won't give it to Don't you say that, yeah because that it means so much that so imagine telling them to yeah. uh, give up so i see it no other way inshallah may allah bless you and your brother and your family inshallah, inshallah. and thank you for thank making you, time for project